0: A fool would not know what to do with the heart if he had one. A Tin Man fic. Written by Perpetual Motion. Read by Dr. Fumbles McStupid. Summary. After the battle, Cain and Glitch. Except he's not Glitch, and it's making Cain a little nuts. The Queen's first order of business, once she's properly on the throne again, is to hug Deejee as tight as she can. Her second order of business is to hug Ascadelia. Her third is to kiss Ahamo again. Her fourth is to thank Cain. Her fifth is to have the half of Ambrose's brain that is still in the jar brought to her. She opens the zipper on Glitch's head, places the half-brain carefully, does something that shines a halo over Glitch's head, and then he's smiling in a completely different way. His speech is different. His steps are different. He stands lighter. He's Ambrose again, and Kane looks away and out at the sunset, because the man who smiles at him isn't someone he knows. They celebrated for a week. The Queen declares a holiday all across the lands. It's decreed that the week should be spent with family and friends, enjoying company and good food. At the castle, there's a huge dinner every night. The Queen and Ahamo sitting at the head of the table, their daughters flanking them on their right, Kane and Ambrose on their left. Kane chuckles dryly at Dee attempting to maneuver her skirts and she makes a face as she rustles and fidgets and settles again. Kane can't bring himself to look at Ambrose, done up in a proper jacket and trousers and highly shined shoes. His hair is combed back straight from his forehead, just the edge of the zipper visible where it rests on his crown. There's no dirt under his fingernails, no patches on his pants, and the conversations he has are precise and to the point. There's no rambling or fumblings, no wandering off in mid-sentence, eyes far away, where his mouth moves for another second or two. He is completely and totally put together, and it makes Kane's teeth itch. You do not seem to be enjoying yourself, Mr. Cain, Ambrose says, eyes just as bright as they've always been, but now so very polite. I'm not one for parties, and it's the truth. Down the table, smiling and laughing, Cain watches Jeb as he entertains two beautiful women. Ra's been excused from celebration duties by the Queen, due to his general ill-ease around large groups of people. Kane wishes he'd made a similar request. And you'll stay on at the castle? Ambrose is still at it, making conversation Kane doesn't want to hear. Yes. The polite questioning look Ambrose gives him tells Kane he has to fill in the rest. Glitch would have just nodded and prattled on about something entirely off-topic. Kane's still slightly surprised that he misses those conversations. The Queen's asked me to head up her personal protection, as well as work in a recon capacity from time to time. Wonderful. And then Ambrose goes back to eating his potatoes. Glitch would have clapped his hands, or tilted his head, or given Kane a smile that wasn't societal and polite. Kane counts to five hundred in his head, folds his napkin in a precise square, and stands up from the table. He gives a polite nod to the Queen and Ahamo, smirks at DG's dress struggles again, and walks out of the dining hall. He takes the long way to his quarters, trying to discover if there's a room in the castle he's not seen yet. His living space, Cain knows from his walks through the grounds, is the least ornate. He's grateful to the Queen for the kindness, but the rooms are still too much for him. They're all brocade and silk and expensive, smooth woods. Cain misses the home he built with his own callous hands and sweat. He sits in one of the chairs in the sitting area, embroidered with more thread than he's sure he's used in his life. And pulls off his boots. He leans into the chair, sighs, and rubs his nose. There's a knock on his door, and Kane lifts his hand to stare at it. He's not been gone from the dinner that long, and he's only just gotten to his room. It could be a coincidence. Law men, as a general rule, do not believe in coincidence. Kane in particular, does not. He stands, wary and uneasy, but trying to relax. The witch is dead, zeroes locked away in the deepest dungeon under the castle, courtesy of the new guard Kane sent to retrieve him from the suit, and the rest of the longcoats wouldn't dare try. Mr. Kane, Ambrose's voice through the door, is the same polite inflection he's had all night and all week. Yeah, Kane says, and it's more of a growl than he means it to be. He opens the door and eyes Ambrose, still perfectly pressed and pleaded, that infuriating smile still in place. Did you want something? Short and clipped. Kane doesn't miss the way Ambrose's mouth tightens. Litch would have called him cranky, and wanted to know what was so bad about the night that Cain had to be a sourpuss. "'I thought I would come up and see if you were feeling well. You left quite abruptly.' Cain tries to stare him down, but Ambrose just meets him with a placid, polite look, mouth fixed in a half-smile, like the half-smile Cain had gotten used to. Cain's so very tempted to just slam the door or stomp on Ambrose's shiny shoes. He takes a deep breath instead. "'I'm fine. Just not one for parties.' "'Of course.' Ambrose gives a small nod and smiles fitfully. I'll leave you to it then. Kane watches him head for the staircase and wrangles with the options before finally asking, just loud enough for Ambrose to catch it. Are you happier now? Ambrose turns smartly on his heel, and Kane is hit with a stare of intensity he's never seen from Ambrose or Glitch. They stand like that for almost a minute, Ambrose at the head of the stairs, Kane in the doorway of his rooms. I'm not sure. Ambrose says, breaking the pause. He looks down at his shoes and twists one of the buttons on his jacket. It's a very odd experience to have one's brain resettled into one's head. I'll bet, Kane says, soft with no sarcasm. I don't think I've quite settled in yet. With that, Ambrose gives one more nod and heads down the stairs. Kane stands in his doorway for another minute, listening to Ambrose's shoes on the stone. He closes the door when the steps become more echo than sound, and walks back to the chair. He doesn't sit, he just looks at it. There is a scene woven into the silk, a grove of trees and two girls holding hands. It makes Cain smile a little, and he sinks into the settee, his feet hanging over one arm, and he lets his mind take its leave. It's two hours later when there's another knock on the door. Cain holds a vague hope that it might be Ambrose but he's not terribly surprised to open the door and find dg "'I can't get out of my dress,' she says, her arms twisted behind her back and the winged elbow sands of any woman trying to undo her own dress. "'And this thing is tight!' Kane laughs outright, happy to have a problem that isn't death or near death or the feeling like he's lost a friend. "'You have a sister now. Isn't that what they're for? "'She's still down there dancing, and I can't breathe. "'Get in here.' Kane stands aside to let her through and closes the door behind him, checking to be certain it's latched. The last thing he needs tonight is some errant guard on rounds, stopping to investigate his unlatched door, and discovering him and the beloved returned princess acting like they actually know one another. Propriety has always bothered him, made him twitch a little, and he wonders what he's doing here. I mean, seriously, who wears these things? Princesses. DG throws him a look, and Kane smirks. "'suddenly glad to be where he is. "'You are one now, princess.' "'He steps up behind her and eyes the dress. "'His wife's dresses were always much simpler, "'given their life out in the woods. "'This thing in front of him is all buttons and clasps "'and precise ribbons with perfect iron bows. "'He unties one and nothing happens. "'This a dress or a tent? "'Like, I would know.' "'He tries another ribbon, and D.G. breathes out. "'Better?' "'Yeah.' "'He follows the ribbon down, and once it's unlaced, He's faced with a line of buttons. How many layers are you in, princess? I stopped counting after the third petticoat. She lifts her skirt and eyes her undergarments. It's a petticoat, right? Kane snorts. How would I know? The buttons are small and slippery, and he swears a bit as they slide around the calluses on his fingertips. But after a couple of minutes, DG shrugs off the dress in one piece and peels off her maybe petticoats. Kane looses the laces on her corset, glad he could still recognize some part of this whole feminine mess. He raises an eyebrow as she walks over to one of his chairs, and sits herself down, and nothing more than her now-loosened corset and her bloomers. You know, if someone should walk in— I'm a princess. I'm allowed to be eccentric. D.G. waves him off. Eccentric does not equal half-naked, so give me something to wear. Because that'll make this much less incriminating, he mutters. But he turns towards the wardrobe that's the length of the sitting-room in his old cabin, and digs around until he comes up with a pair of plain pants and an undershirt that he figures will do the queen had seen it her duty to make sure he had plenty of clothes kane is certain he isn't supposed to be using them to dress her daughter and he doesn't plan to ever tell her he passes the clothes to d g and directs her towards his lavatory she levels the door cracked and he listens to the sounds of her changing while he sits on a chair that faces away from the door when she comes out she throws her corset and bloomers carelessly on top of her dress and assorted layers, and drapes herself over the settee. Thank you. You're welcome. They sit in silence as the coolness of the night seeps into the room, and D.G. tucks her legs under her and looks at Kane. Are you okay being here? Kane stands up to start a fire. There are servants who could do it, but Kane's made it clear that outside of the required dusting and polishing, his rooms are to be left alone. He lights the bottom of his carefully constructed log pile, and waits for the fire to catch. He brushes his hands together to remove the bits of wood and ash, and then he returns and looks at D.G. squarely. I don't know. She smiles a small, crooked smile. Really? We're not all royalty, Princess. Yeah, I'm totally royalty. D.G. rolls her eyes. I was slinging coffee before I fell on my ass on this side of things. Doesn't change your bloodline. You've always been royalty here. I can barely walk in that thing, she gestures to the dress with exasperation. And I think I used the wrong fork tonight." Kane laughs low in his chest and stands. He puts his hands on his hips and looks DG up and down. Forks and dresses don't make a princess. You've got a good heart. You've got hope. DG stands and walks over to him. She presses her fingers against his chest. You've got a good heart, too. Withered and exhausted as it is, she rolls her eyes again, and Kane kisses her forehead. Grab your dress and whatever else they use to trap you in the thing, I'll walk you to your room. Rooms, DG corrects as she bends down and gathers her pounds of things into her arms. I think they're bigger than the house I grew up in. Kane knows that feeling, but he doesn't commiserate, just opens the door and follows a step behind her as they cut across the castle to DG's suite. He leaves her at the door with a soft goodnight and a tip of a finger to the hat he's not wearing. It makes her smile, and he gives her a small smile in return. He takes the walk back to his own rooms at a slow pace, stopping to look out windows and check in with a few of the men on night's guard. All's quiet, they tell him, but Cain feels like the whole place echoes with every small noise. He misses his house, where the creaks were always near his ears, and quiet meant the sound of animals and Adora breathing softly in her sleep. Once he's back in his rooms, and in his overly comfortable bed, he falls asleep quickly. He dreams of the dinner and the dance and of Glitch moving in ways that Kane would never have guessed he was capable. When he wakes up, he remembers dreaming of dancing. Every morning, twenty minutes after everyone's breakfast, the queen sits down with her various advisors and walks through the needs of the day. Ambrose sits to her right at the head of the table, and Kane sits to her left. And Kane is grateful with the arrangement. He can't ever see Ambrose straight on, and it makes him more comfortable. Mr. Kane, the Queen says, because she has made it clear that she will never, no matter his insistence, refer to him by his last name as if it is his first. What news do you have for me? Your personal guard will be training in units for the next four weeks, Your Highness. I have divided them equally into groups of ten, and they will refresh themselves on various modes of defense, as well as defense tactics for the castle. Kane passes her a list in his best handwriting, followed by a detailed schedule. The units that are in training will not be participating in their regular duty during their training week to allow them time to rest between days. The queen nods and gives Kane a pleased look that makes him feel more important than it probably should. Thank you, Mr. Kane. She skims the unit breakdown and schedule. Is there anything I or anyone else can do to help the guard units during the training? I was hoping. And Kane has to stop and clear his throat to get the whole sentence out that Ambrose could demonstrate a few of his simpler defense moves for the men. I've seen him fight before, and I believe his knowledge could be of some use. The Queen looks at Ambrose, and Kane doesn't miss the way Ambrose looks blank. He's seen it a few times before, when he's mentioned other things Ambrose did while they were traveling, and he can't decide if it's some sort of defense tactic on Ambrose's part, as if maybe he thinks this time glitch isn't worth remembering. Ambrose, would you have the time? The Queen asks, as though it won't become an order if needed. I can certainly make time, your highness, if that's what you would like. The queen smiles. I would like it very much. She turns to Kane again. Consider it agreed. You and Ambrose can speak afterwards about an acceptable time and regiment of activity. Yes, your highness. Kane agrees, and then fades into the background as the meeting moves to the next issue. He watches Ambrose when he talks, wonders about the blank look that had been on his face. There's no blink look now. Now he looks interested and animated, if slightly reserved. He's passing around papers. Kane takes one and skims it. It's covered in figures and names of the outer regions. Kane ignores the numbers and checks the names. He's been compiling a list of places to visit within the next few months. Places that were hit hardest by the witch's rule. Places with people who may not quite believe the truth of their independence. Ambrose figures written in a hand that seems both careless and precise at the same time, put Kane's plans into perspective. They're rebuilding numbers, and they help organize exactly how he would like to plan his route around the O.Z. Another three-quarters of an hour, and Kane's free. He heads for his office, an elaborate construct of stone and heavy rugs, where he doesn't quite feel comfortable, and he's almost grateful when Ambrose intercepts him halfway there and asks him about the training. What exactly would you need of me, Mr. Kane? The Mr. Kane line is getting old, but Kane's not sure how to go about telling Ambrose to stop being an overpolite pain in his ass. He could have just stated it as such to Glitch, but Ambrose has an air about him that makes Kane think he's easily offended. Society manners and all that. You're obviously well versed in some very advanced defense techniques, Ambrose. Kane will be damned straight to the same dank cell as Zero before he starts using Mr. in front of Ambrose's name. I'm a firm believer that extra techniques mean extra protection. You can teach my men something they don't yet know, and they can use that knowledge to better protect her highness, her family, and the castle at large. That I understand, Ambrose says slowly, as though he feels the need to be exceptionally clear. What I do not understand, Mr. Kane, and here Kane grinds his teeth to keep from being rude, is when you saw me perform any defensive strategies at all. It makes Kane blink. You can't be serious. I assure you, Mr. Kane, I'm very serious. I do not recall a time when you and I were in such a situation that you would have seen. And that is the last straw. You took out a regiment of longcoats when we were trying to get D.G. back from the witch. Kane watches Ambrose's face for some sort of sign of recollection. He's getting a blank stare, and it's polite. If Kane were any more frustrated, he'd be cursing a streak that would make Ambrose flinch. Glitch would have probably complimented his vocabulary, and added a few words of his own, because he likes the sound of them how do you have no memory of this? Ambrose's face twists in thought. After a moment, he wraps his knuckles against his head. The action makes Kane's stomach twist a little. When the Queen put my brain back to rights, I think some things ended up a bit scrambled. I recall quite a lot of my time as... He pauses and seems to be searching for the proper term. When I was incapacitated, he says finally, but some of it seems to have slipped out. You... Kane shakes his head and clenches his hands. "'You weren't incapacitated,' he hisses out between his teeth. "'You were just—' "'Just glitch,' he thinks, but doesn't say. He shakes himself like he's coming out of a lake after a swim. "'No matter what may have gotten muddled in your brain, "'you do know advanced defense tactics, yes?' "'Yes,' Ambrose agrees, looking relieved to be back on topic. "'And I would be pleased to teach your men some of my basic maneuvers. "'What time would be most accessible for you?' Early morning works best. It'll be a good warm-up for the rest of the day, and allow the men to start with something more difficult and get it out of the way before they're put through their paces. And the time frame? An hour a day should get them started, if you have the time. We can discuss a regular training schedule for any of my men who are interested in pursuing a more complete education at a later date, if you think you'd be available for that sort of activity. That would be fine. Ambrose gives the same little nod he'd given Cain last night. It seems to be about the only thing the man does that doesn't make Kane twitch. If you'll excuse me. Yeah, go. Kane waves him away before he has to hear another mister come out of Ambrose's mouth. He stalks the rest of the way to his office, closing his door with more force than necessary, and spends a moment fuming at the room in general, before bending down, grabbing the nearest heavy rug, and rolling it into a precise tube. He rolls another four rugs, moves his coat rack to rest behind the door, and props all the five rugs in the now-open corner. He'll get one of the servants to move them to storage some other time, but at the moment, just having a stone floor beneath his feet makes him feel a little bit better. He sits at his desk chair and starts sorting his papers. There's a knock, and he barks, "'Come in!' without looking up. It's Ascadelia, with a paper-wrapped bundle. She holds up a hand to keep Cain from rising. "'Please don't. I'm not here for anything official.' She closes the door behind her and hands over the package. Gigi asked me to drop these by. It seemed best given the contents, which means it's the clothes she borrowed last night. Ascadelia smiles, and Kane appreciates the way it looks on her. The smile of the witch was something completely different, hard on the edges at all times. Ascadelia's smile is honestly warm. You are an excellent law official, Mr. Kane. He gives her a look. Kane, she corrects with another smile. Or I could call you Wyatt. No thanks, Kane says, with a touch of amusement. That's a reserved name. For a reserved man. Is there anyone in your family who doesn't feel the need to come in and poke at me? I doubt my mother's been in recently. Ascadelia laughs when Kane just gives her a look. The laugh is also completely different. Kane approves. Well, she certainly hasn't been in today. Only because I've just left the morning meeting. Perhaps. Ascadelia looks around the room, and Kane wonders why. He sees her gaze fall on the rugs. She says nothing but kane catches the knowing look in her eyes he's not up for a discussion on his view of the castle's overabundance of rugs is there something else i can do for you princess he tries to sound helpful but he's sure he just sounds curt you seem troubled as cadelia says and takes a seat on one of the chairs in front of his desk she folds her skirts around her in a practiced motion and kane thinks back to dg at dinner it doesn't make him smile he wonders if DG can give him any tips on how to settle in with minimal fuss. He doesn't seem to be settling at all. Do you have a clear memory of everything that happened when the witch had you trapped? The way Ascadelia flinches makes Kane flinch as well. That was inappropriate, he adds, and Ascadelia starts talking before he can add an apology. Are you afraid that I'm some sort of threat, Kane? Ascadelia's tone is icy, but there's a quaver on the undertone, and Kane feels like he's just threatened a child. "'Not at all, princess,' he says in the nicest voice he has. "'It's a curiosity, and none of my business, "'and you're welcome to slap me in the face and walk out. "'You're very sweet.' "'Yeah, I'm a prince.' Ascadelia chuckles, but there's a false note to it, and when she answers, Kane can hear years of royal court manners warring with discomfort in her tone. "'Not quite, but still very sweet. "'To answer your question, I have an excellent memory "'of what it was like to share my body with the witch. "'Given the chance,' I believe I would allow myself to forget it, but on the other side of the picture, knowing what she did and how she did it, is assisting in the renewal efforts across the O.Z." Kane considers her answer, "'Damned if you do, damned if you don't.' It comes out a bit more tired and resigned than he means it to, and the way Ascadelia looks out the window and breathes in slowly makes Kane think she's in some form of agreement. That is possibly as apt an analogy as we'll find on the situation. As Cadelia stands, her skirts arranging around her with, what looks to Kane like the barest fidget of her fingertips. And if you'll excuse me, I have work which needs seeing, to. She states it like a request, but Cain can see the slight tremor in her hands, and feels guilty for having pushed her. She's not the witch any longer, he reminds himself, and she doesn't need to be jabbed for information. Of course. Kane rises to see her to the door, no matter her objections. It's one thing to keep his seat when she comes in on official matters. It's another to not see her out after making her uncomfortable. Good day, princess. And you as well, Kane. He closes the door behind her and settles back at his desk. He breathes out hard and stares out the window at the grounds. The training for his men starts next week, and the only person on the grounds is the gardener. Kane watches him work for a few minutes before shaking his head at his own procrastination and putting his mind firmly on his work. The paperwork is almost constantly boring, but it is at least time-consuming, and it feels like he's accomplished something by lunch. D.G. knocks on the door at a quarter after noon hour, and walks in with a tray in her hands. Would it be so difficult to eat with everyone else? She's in a simpler skirt than the night before, and moves in it with more confidence, settling the tray on Kane's desk, and pulling a chair close before sitting. If I did that, how would you remember your humble beginnings? Kane sets aside his papers and takes the top sandwich off the pile. And what's kept you busy today, princess? Etiquette lessons, D.G. says, with the same fatal tone that Jeb had used for his schoolwork. Mother insists on the whole morning getting wasted away with forks and spoons and walking around in those god-awful skirts. She bites her sandwich and chews and swallows. I mean, really, would it be so traumatic if I wore pants like everyone else? You're not everyone else. Quit saying that. It's true. "'Yeah, yeah.' "'She pours herself water from the pitcher on the tray and takes a drink. "'I'm a fairy princess with magical powers, and that's cool and everything, but I miss my pants.' Kane thinks she misses a lot more than that, but if she says it, she'll tell him how wonderful his heart is again. "'He can only take so much of that. "'You talk to your father?' "'Sure.' "'About the dress thing, I mean?' dg looks confused.' "'No, why would I?' "'He's a hunter. He'll understand the need for pants better than your mother.' She was raised in those skirts of yours her whole life, and while she's aware, on a level, that you lived a completely different life for a lot of annuals, she may not see your issue with the whole skirts thing. D.G. smiles, and is radiant, and Kane feels like the day might get a bit better. You're a genius. Sure, he says, and takes another bite from a sandwich. You are, she insists, and he doesn't contradict. She eats half her sandwich before asking, her head tilted in the same way it was when she asked to borrow his razor are you sure you're okay? Kane sighs heavily, so tired of the question he'd kick her out for it if she weren't exactly who she was. I'm fine. Sure. Look, princess, and he can't keep the edge out of his tone. I spent a handful of annuals in that tin box you got me out of, and then a week later, the Ozzy was back in the proper control of your mother. It takes some time to adjust to all of it. We didn't all grow up with fairy tales to smooth the way into new and unusual territory. DG's mouth quirks a bit. All right. There's a sudden burst of noise from outside Kane's window, and he stands up to see what's happening. DG nudges him over so she can get a look, and they watch as Ambrose and poor men make their way across the lawn, a collection of carrying cases and rucksacks slung over their shoulders and clutched in their hands. Ambrose says something not quite loudly enough for Kane to overhear, but the rolling chuckle from the men in his wake carries up just fine. Kane looks away from the window and walks back to his chair. DG takes her own chair again a few moments later. She takes a drink of water and looks at Kane like she's deciding something. Ambrose bothers you, she states. Kane raises his eyebrows and considers denying it. I'm getting used to him, he says instead of admitting to anything. He's really nice. I've got no complaints to the man's attitude, but he's not glitch. Her eyebrows have come together, and Kane's about ninety percent certain she's about to pouch. He's still glitch, Kane says, because he's mostly certain he believes himself. It's just getting used to Ambrose. Yeah. They sit in the silence they tend to fall into when they have nothing important to say. It's a comfortable silence. For all the chatter she can create, she knows when to put quiet to good use. They finish their lunch, and she smiles at him before gathering up their crumbs and dishes and walking out the door with the tray. Kane leans back in his chair and stretches his arms. Mornings are for paperwork. Afternoons are for work. He stands and grabs his hat. Setting it firmly on his head before heading out the door and out to the east lawn. He motions to the sentry on duty with a crook of his fingers. The man jogs over, saluting and standing at attention. Report, Kane orders. All quiet, captain. The man cringes at the withering look Kane gives him. Kane, he stutters. Kane's made it clear to all of them that no matter what the official title may be, he doesn't want to be a captain. The words sound false to him. He's a lawman, always has been. "'and the idea of being known by a rank makes him uneasy. "'Tin Man had been suggested by D.G. half-jokingly, "'but Kane had shot it down "'and told the men to just call him by his name. "'And it worked just fine all his years as an officer,' "'Kane thought, "'and it was the most comfortable title he had. "'Nothing at all to report?' "'No, sir.' "'Excellent.' "'He pats the man on the shoulders "'and moves around the outer wall of the castle, "'checking in with all the sentries "'before running into Jeb by chance. "'Jeb?' he greets.' because he still feels awkward looking at the grown man in front of him and calling him son. Dad, Ahamo and I were going out on a hunt. I was headed to saddle the horses. Jeb greets with similar awkwardness. They haven't talked much since the end of the eclipse. Kane's pretty certain it's because they have no idea what to say to one another. They should be catching up, getting to know one another, and Jeb's talking about Ahamo. What's in season? Kane asks, because he's at a loss. Pheasant? Kane nods and considers the kinds of conversation they could have had, had they not been separated when Jeb was so young. All those years of imagining what he'd do, and it never centered around finding his family again. It was never plans for talking to Jeb and coming to terms with their past. What are you hunting with? Bows. Ahamo says he may be able to improve my accuracy for when I go back. Jeb always says it that way, go back, like it's an open-ended idea of leaving. But Kane can read the way he digs the toe of his boot in the ground and he knows go back has soon attached at the end whether Jeb says it or not come by my rooms tonight Kane offers without thinking let's have dinner let's have a conversation he thinks of something that isn't trivial the smile Jeb gives him makes Kane feel ten feet tall sure and Jeb's walking away with a wave headed for the back stables Kane feels lighter and rounds the next quarter with a bit of a smile Ambrose is standing on a small incline, some three-legged contraption balanced in front of him. There's a young man of about twenty annuals standing next to him, nodding and making notes as Ambrose rattles off numbers. "'Mr. Kane," Ambrose says with a nod. "'Ambrose,' Kane says as he steps up the incline. "'What's this?' "'We are surveying the grounds. It's not been done since the witch took her reign, and it will help us make some decisions in terms of crop placement and use of the land.' Uh "'Uh-huh.' It sounds like the most boring work Cain can imagine, but the way Ambrose's eyes shine make Kane shift his weight so he's a touch closer. Anything my men or I can do to help? Ambrose looks surprised at the offer, and Kane takes some pride in wiping the polite look off his face. No, thank you, Mr. Kane, but the offer is appreciated. Just once, Kane thinks, he'd like to make Ambrose talk like they're not in a big deal ball, trying to hold on to a conversation neither of them really wants to have. I'll head out, then. Good day, Mr. Kane. Yeah, see you, Ambrose. Kane heads to the next checkpoint, and the next, and the following one. There are no reports from anyone, not that he'd expected any, but until training starts, Kane needs to do something to feel like a man in charge. Paperwork doesn't accomplish that same feeling. He needs to talk to people. It's the people at the bottom, Kane knows from experience, who have the most information about what's going on anywhere at all. He burns the afternoon away, chatting with the gardeners and stable hands, as well as making conversation with the washerwomen who are hanging sheets to dry in the sunlight. They tell him nothing of importance, but he learns some names and gets a few knowing looks, and feels like he's made some progress in the staff trusting him as he mounts the front steps of the castle. Kane steps inside, removes his hat, and heads for his office. Halfway there, he's met by the Queen. Your Highness, he greets with a short bow. Mr. Kane," she says with delight. I was hoping to see you. Your son and my husband have caught enough pheasant to feed, I believe, the entirety of the castle and the neighboring village. Jeb mentions that you and he had plans for dinner in your rooms tonight, but I was hoping I could persuade you to join us all in the dining hall. She holds up a hand before Kane can protest. No fancy dress, Mr. Kane. simply everyone sitting down for a nice hearty meal. Will there be dancing? He asks before he can stop himself. Not at all, she says, her eyes sparkling. I'll see you there, then excellent we eat at seven bells yes your highness kane gives her another short bow and finishes mounting the stairs he checks his office for any new notes left in his absence during his rounds and once he's squared away the last bit of business he locks up and heads up another flight to his rooms jeb's sitting outside the door freshly washed in a pressed shirt and he smiles when kane approaches i tried to discourage it it's fine and in that moment it is because jeb's by the door and Kane feels warm that Jeb's made it over by himself. I just need a quick wash-up and fresh boots, and we can talk a bit before dinner. Great. Jeb stands and smiles, a little timid. I got four, Ahama got six. Very nice, Kane replies and smiles back. I took your mother pheasant hunting once, and she came home with twice as many as me. Really? I don't remember that. You were very young. We left you with the neighbors. She was a hell of a shot. She was. He says proudly, before she, he cuts off and looks at Kane uneasy. It's okay, Kane says, and gestures him to a chair as he latches the door. I thought she was dead long before I saw her grave. You too, for that matter. I'm just glad to have you, Noss. Okay. He swallows once, twice, then pushes on with his story. When we were raided by longcoats about six months before she died, I was out in the yard when they approached, and they went for me. And before I could even get up my fists. She'd shot one of them straight through the shoulder. Kane smiles at the image, allowing himself a moment to remember his wife as the strong woman she'd been, and not the broken woman he'd been imagining had been left behind after Zero had put him into that suit. That's nice to hear, he tells Jeb, as he pours water from a pitcher into his wash basin. He dips the soap and washes from his fingertips to the middle of his forearms. If I had known... I know, Jeb says, and Kane thinks that maybe they both believe it a little. Dinner is a casual affair. The queen serves up the pheasant herself, and announces that they are only using the very basic necessities. Dinner amongst friends, I have been informed, does not require four separate forks. Kane shares a look with DG, who shrugs and uses her single fork to spear her beans. They're good-looking birds, Kane says, because his manners are always better when he's not required to be dressed up in a tie and coat. Jeb is an excellent shot, Ahamo says, with a nod to Jeb, who sits next to Kane, I fear my lessons won't be terribly useful. It was a good hunt, Jeb says politely, while managing to take no credit for his own success, and Kane is slightly perturbed at the way Jeb seems comfortable in giving away his victories. He considers jumping to Jeb's defense, or at the very least pointing out that nearly half the birds are there by Jeb's hard work, but then Ambrose hurries in late, and Kane finds himself distracted. Ambrose settles himself across from Kane, and places his napkin precisely in his lap. Cain can't help but watch the way he puzzles over the lack of numerous forks. The indentations between his brows makes him look more like the man Cain remembers from their trip over the old road than anything else Ambrose has done in the past few weeks. Ambrose sees him watching. Yes, Mr. Cain? Cain fumbles for something to say. Your buttons are off, he says, because it's true. Ambrose looks down at himself and shakes his head. Oh dear, my apologies. Oh, Ambrose the queen says, with an indulgent smile. You always have been so very proper, even at casual dinners. For some reason, that piece of information doesn't surprise Kane. Any telling stories, your highness? He asks, because getting used to Ambrose might be easier if he has some background. When the girls were very young, the queen starts as Ambrose suddenly flushes, they invited him along to a picnic. He attempted to impart high-tea manners. I had to explain to him that small girls have no use for high-tea manners while sitting on an old blanket in a large field sipping from their favorite tea sets. There's polite laughter around the table, where Ambrose looks mildly uncomfortable, and Kane feels bad for requesting a story. On my wedding day, Kane starts, and sees the way Jeb glances up from his peripheral vision. My mother kept demanding I watch my cuffs so I wouldn't have to get married with mud on my legs. She had a valid point. I didn't listen, and my darling wife never let me forget it. He smiles a little at Ambrose. He smiles back and Cain can see Jeb smiling as he turns back to his meal. Dinner carries on, D.G. and Ascadelia telling tales on each other now that D.G. remembers her time with her sister before the witch took over. Ahamo tells stories of his years underground, waiting for D.G.'s return. Jeb talks about the Resistance. The Queen tells stories of her years growing up in the castle. Cain and Ambrose both stay quiet unless there's a need for laughter or murmured agreement. Ambrose keeps glancing at Kane, and Kane's not sure why but it's making him twitchy. He'd removed his gun before walking down for dinner, but he taps his fingers against his thigh and wishes he hadn't. "'Tell me, Jeb,' the Queen says, as they eat dessert, "'what are your plans for the next few weeks?' Jeb swallows and wipes his mouth in a way that is almost dainty, and Kane is again struck by the way his son seems to have picked up some court manners. "'I plan to head back to my settlement, Your Highness, as soon as the end of the week, perhaps. My people there have taken my letters in good grace,' But I know they need to see me to really believe they're all safe. A noble endeavor, the Queen says with a nod. Kane agrees, but doesn't say anything. And you, Kane? The Queen asks, and Kane feels his eyebrows pull together before he can stop himself. Your Highness? He asks, because he has no idea what he's expected to say. Will you be accompanying your son on his trip to the settlement? Kane finds that he actually hasn't considered it. His duty is here at the castle training the guard and making sure things run smoothly. Jeb is a grown man, and Kane is well aware of the rift between them. No, your highness. He states it in such a way that she gives a sharp nod and does not try for more information. Jeb grabs Kane by the arms as they stand for dinner. You're really not? And in his eyes, Kane sees the eight-year-old boy that tried to fight off Zero and a handful of goons. He also sees the man who also hadn't considered the option and feels guilty for it. They're your home. You're my father. Not really, Kane thinks, but he appreciates the sentiment. My place is here. I see. But Kane watches Jeb's face close off and knows that he doesn't. Jeb. Never mind. Jeb walks away without looking back, and in the line of his shoulders and the clench of his hands, Kane sees himself clearly. I'm sorry, Ambrose says from Kane's elbow. Kane hadn't heard him approach. He wonders if Ambrose means it, or if he feels it's just polite to say something because he's still in the room. Sure, Kane responds flatly, "I am Ambrose says, and the wide-eyed, honest look he gives Kane prompts Kane to turn and walk away. He can handle Ambrose, Kane thinks as he circles the castle up and down the hallways and stares into corners, but not when so much of glitch starts to break through. What's he doing here? He wonders that it means more than getting to know his son. Anyone can run the Queen's guard. It's not a terribly difficult job. He doesn't even like it here much. It's too much of everything, silk and brocade, and heavy curtains and enough rugs, Cain thinks, to carpet an entire village from the front gate to the last house on the road. Dad? And Jeb's coming up the stairs. Look, I... No, Cain says, and holds up his hand. Whatever conversation we're about to have, let's just skip over it. Whoever we are, Jeb, we're not men who know each other. As much as you're my son, you're a stranger, and I think it's the same for you. Jeb looks down at the steps and presses his lips together. Yeah, he looks up again, but let's know each other as men. Kane holds out his hand. Whatever other chances we had, they're off on their own now. He sees the way Jeb's considering fighting him, hands clenched at his side. Jeb's hands relax. He breathes out hard. You're probably right. He's probably not, but Kane shakes his hand and pats his shoulder. When you get back to your settlement, send me a message. Let me know you've arrived. The hope that flares in Jeb's eyes is just what Kane was trying for. I'll do that. We'll find a balance. Kane stands at the top of the stairs and watches Jeb descend. Maybe, he thinks, and makes his way to his room. He lights the fire and a few lamps and sits in a chair and stares at the walls as he considers the day and the week before it and the weeks before that. A longer, stranger trip, Kane thinks, probably won't happen to him again. There's a knock on the door and Kane answers it. The servants have come with his bath water and he stands aside to let them fill the tub that sits along the wall near the fireplace. Once they've gone, Kane strips down and slides in, glad to be at the end of the day, so that he can wash off and push his thoughts into an organized list of issues, as he soaps up and dunks his whole body under to rinse off. When he comes up, D.G. is sitting next to the tub and smiling. Hey! he nearly shouts, shocked. Hi! And she waves like they've run into each other on the street. I just came in to say goodnight. "'I swear, Princess, you're just trying to get me stuck in some compromising situation.' "'You are mean to Ambrose tonight,' D.G. says, "'like it's not important that Kane's sitting naked in the tub. "'He was trying to be nice.' "'I'm not in the mood for nice.' Kane agitates the water because he can't get out. "'There's a washcloth on the edge of the tub, "'but reaching for it means moving his hands from where they're blocking D.G.'s view. "'Look, Princess, unless you've got something useful to add, get out so I can get dressed.' "'You should be nice.' D.G. says as she stands and walks for the door, and I didn't see anything. I'll just bet, Kane mutters to himself as he tries to relax again. The week closes out with no real incident. Jeb goes back to his settlement, Kane seeing him off with a pat on the shoulder and a hug so awkward Kane almost wishes it hadn't happened. D.G. throws him looks every time he says anything to Ambrose that isn't perfectly nice and shiny, and Kane sits in his office and stares out his window, counting the hours until training starts. Training will keep him busy, and maybe it's keeping busy that he needs to find his feet in this place. Ambrose drops by his office the day before training starts. Kane's desk is covered in notes and scribbles, and one very large map of the grounds, which he is using to double-check the placement of his training exercises. Mr. Kane, Ambrose says, as he eyes all of the papers, I thought we could talk in a bit more depth about my role in your training exercise. You're teaching my men some of your basic maneuvers, Ambrose. That's all we need to discuss. Kane's shirt sleeves are rolled up, and he's eyeing the map warily. You're surveying, he says with a wave of his hand to get Ambrose to sit. Are you finished with the northwest lawn? Yes, Ambrose says brightly. Kane thinks that maybe he really does enjoy something that sounds so boring. We finished it two days ago. We're down by the lake at this point, so I believe we're well out of your way. Excellent. Kane scribbles a note to himself and turns the map 90 degrees. He studies it for a few moments, before deciding that the course of action he already has outlined should work well enough. He'll know better, after the first couple of days, if any adjustments will be needed. When he looks up, he realizes Ambrose is still sitting in his office. Something you needed? We've talked a bit on how you've seen me defend myself before, Ambrose says quietly, and Kane gets the feeling whatever he's about to say is very important to him. Yes, Kane says quietly and sits in his chair. I called it dancing, Ambrose says, and gives Kane a small shy smile that Kane completely recognizes. And I believe I went on for some length about rhythm. Kane smiles. You did. I think perhaps that the befuddlement came from my description versus what you actually saw. I had a memory of dancing, and you had the proper memory of my defensive tactics. Ambrose smiles another small shy smile. A ridiculous confusion, really. It's not, Kane says softly. But he sees that Ambrose hears it. He tries to come up with a follow-up, something insightful and helpful, that will let Ambrose know he appreciates that he's come by to tell him something that probably to Ambrose seems trivial. It looked like dancing, is all he has. And he rubs a hand across his mouth to hide his need to smile when Ambrose tilts his head just so and grins full out. It's not a polite smile. There's nothing societal or proper in the way Ambrose's eyes close for a moment like he's pleased beyond measure. Thank you, Ambrose says very quietly. Kane watches him watch his hands. I am never sure, day to day, where exactly my mind is. Nothing new there. Kane throws out before he can stop it. There's a heart-stopping moment where he's met with silence, and he's forced to wonder if he's gone too far. This isn't glitch, he reminds himself. Ambrose may not just roll his eyes and agree and forget about it twenty seconds later. It was never new, actually. I've always been a bit scattered. Ambrose's smile quirks a little and settles more on the left side of his face. The removal just made things a bit more obvious. Kane's lost for words again. He can handle any number of things people say, but he's never had a knack for counteracting self-deprecation. He taps his fingers on his thighs just above his gun and tries not to look terribly uncomfortable. You're a smart man, he finally says after a pause that he knows is too long. Ambrose nods once, stands, and walks to the door. Let me know if you need anything else, Mr. Kane. Thanks, Ambrose. Kane looks away as the door opens, and doesn't look back until he hears it latch. He counts to thirty before standing and moving towards the window. It's another forty seconds before Ambrose comes out of the side door of the castle, headed towards the lake. Kane watches him go, appreciates the way he moves, and realizes fully, for the first time, just why Ambrose has been quite so bothersome. Son of a bitch, he breathes out. He grabs his hat and coat and makes for the door. He clatters down the grand staircase off the main foyer of the castle, and nearly runs down Ahamo. "'Excuse me,' he says distractedly. "'Cain?' Ahamo asks, gripping Cain's bicep to keep him from getting away. "'You look pale, sir. Are you all right?' Cain stops and breathes in and out for a moment. He looks hard at Ahamo and considers his options. Personal revelations are a pain in the ass. Ahambo's eyebrows go up, but he releases Cain's arm. I'll leave you to it then. Thank you. Cain picks up his purposeful stride out the grand front doors of the castle and circles around from the west until he's positioned himself at the edge of the orchard that borders the lake. He presses his body against the tree and watches Ambrose as he instructs some young man in the placement of the survey equipment he's been hauling around for days. It's been so long he's forgotten, Cain thinks, and Adora did most of the work smiling at him first, talking to him first, asking him to dance during a town social. Glitch had asked him to dance, and Kane had assumed the shiver up his spine had been his body preparing itself for the fight against the longcoats. Glitch had sat next to him on that pile of blankets in the wagon, and shown him the horse, and Kane had blamed the way his hands trembled on the chill that the fire hadn't quite cut. Excuses are for the weak and idiotic. Kane has been telling people that since he was old enough to believe it true, and now he wonders exactly which of those two he is. He wonders if he's both. Kane considers everything that's come before this afternoon, and Ambrose and their conversation in his office. Ambrose, when he was Glitch, the way he would smile and trail off, eyes still on target but mind somewhere Kane can't even begin to imagine, the loose-hipped walk of Glitch, familiar to Kane because he'd once had an old nag of a horse with a similar gait, Glitch's smile and laughter, the tattered regal coat that Kane now firmly believed he kept because he really had always believed himself to be a fine advisor to the Queen, even on the days when he didn't know it at all. All those years in the suit, watching and re his family being ambushed, he'd never once considered the possibility of being free. It was those kind of thoughts that caused men in those suits to end up crazed when they came out. He kept himself focused on the important part. His family had been taken. Were he to get free, he would get them back, or barring that, get revenge. Zero's in the smallest, filthiest cell in the castle dungeon. The witch is dead. What longcoats are still on the run will soon be at their deaths, of that, Kane is certain, revenge has been had, his wife is avenged, his son is alive. His own wounded heart had started mending the moment he'd been freed from that suit. Looking at Ambrose now, as he smiles and says something to his assistant, Kane knows why he agreed to let them tag along, DG's got the wide-eyed innocence and casual determination of a puppy wanting to play at tug-of-war. But Glitch and Ambrose have a sense of purpose, Ambrose has a sense of justice and Ambrose knows who he is, and where he should be, and how things should be done. Cain admires that. Ambrose has a quick wit and a sly smile, and enough brains to be quicker than the world, even at half power. Cain appreciates that. Ambrose is beautiful, in a pale, proper way, but with a wicked glint in his eyes that makes Cain think it would be dangerous to set the man loose on an unsuspecting blowhard. It's been twenty-something annual since Adora first asked him to dance, her hands wrapping solidly around his wrists, as she pulled him to the floor, and now, stopping to lean against the tree and catch his breath, Cain comes to terms with the fact that he's fallen in love again. "'I'll be damned,' he thinks, and smiles a little. He glances around the orchard and spots the small apples that are starting to come in on the trees. Cain picks one. It's tart and juicy and makes his fingers sticky. He feels young again, now that he's come to terms with himself, and Ambrose, and Glitch. What he'll do about it, he's not sure." but just knowing where his head is keeps the smile on his face as he cuts across the front lawn and walks into the castle. Training starts just after dawn. Cain's as benevolent as he can be, makes sure his men are full of proper breakfast and plenty of hot tea. There's a nip in the air signaling the start of fall, and he pulls his coat in tight as he surveys his men while they stand in formation. What you'll learn this week will be expanded upon during your tenure here as the Queen's Guard, he says, Grave. He's never had to raise his voice much to keep the attention of any men he's commanded, but he's got it a notch above the usual just to make sure they're really listening. This is the basics. I want to see that you know what you're doing, that you know how to respond. I picked you because you had promise. Don't make me regret it. He turns to his left and motions to Ambrose. And for a start, Ambrose is going to kick your butts for an hour. You will do as he orders. That clear? The men at the top of their voices respond in unison with, Yes, Kane. Cain catches a smile, Ambrose tries to hide. What? Cain? Ambrose is amused. I've been told that once a tin man, always a tin man, but that sounds ridiculous if you say it in unison. Cain watches Ambrose absorb the information. Ambrose doesn't seem to think much of it. Don't kill them. Of course not. Cain gives him a nod and walks up a nearby incline. He's picked this particular bit of ground because of the slope. He can stand a few feet up from the action and see what's going on. Keep track of who's really showing promise and what they're being taught. It also gives them a perfect view to watch Ambrose. Just because he's not participating in the training doesn't mean he can't pick up a few pointers along the way. Ambrose is out of his usual outfit of regal coat, pressed slacks and shirt, and shine shoes this morning. He's in a pair of trousers that look homemade to Kane, and a simple linen shirt. The chill is still in the air, but Ambrose doesn't seem to notice as he lectures the squad on the importance of stretching while leading them through a set. "'They're here to work, Ambrose,' Kane calls down. "'Stretching is work, Mr. Kane,' Ambrose retorts, not even bothering to look back. Kane settles back on his heels and keeps his mouth shut as Ambrose starts demonstrating basic maneuvers. He moves like he's made of rubber. Kane thinks, as Ambrose performs a near back bend that he's certain will send his men into spasms. Forty minutes in, and the full squad is still standing. Kane's impressed. He knows they're good, but he'd expected at least one man to fall on his face by now. Ambrose is walking amongst the ranks, checking the stances, adjusting the width of their legs and the bends in their arms. He's patient, cheerful, giving compliments sparsely but honestly, and Kane can see the men already like him. It's a promising start, Kane thinks, and a good one, as forty minutes roll over to fifty minutes, and Ambrose starts them stretching again. Up, up, up! Ambrose chants as he raises his arms high above his head, and the men do the same. Kane catches a glimpse of Ambrose's stomach, not surprised to find it as pale as the rest of him, and he looks away when he realizes he's been looking at all. Ambrose calls the whole thing done with a clap of his hands, and Cain descends from his position on the incline to inspect the men. Fifteen off, then over to the southern field for archery. Yes, Kane, the men say in unison, before breaking ranks and gathering their things. Kane watches them go, and waits for them to be well out of earshot before turning to Ambrose. Well, they are dedicated. Ambrose says as he wipes sweat from his neck, and they are willing to work hard. You picked good men, Mr. Kane. Thank you. Kane watches the fine shiver that works its way up Ambrose's spine and looks around for Ambrose's coat. You cold? Just a touch chilled now that I've stopped moving. Kane spots the coat and picks it up from where it's folded neatly on the ground. He holds it out with one hand, and Ambrose takes it with a nod. So, Kane says as Ambrose slips on the coat, you sure you want to do it tomorrow? I'm always happy to help mr Kane. It's Kane. Ambrose looks up from where he's buttoned his coat, eyebrows at angles and a lock of hair slipping from its carefully styled place. I'm sorry. No, mister. I'm just Kane. Kane swears as as he can see the gears working through their ratchets in Ambrose's head. The queen? You're not the queen, sweetheart. It's more sarcastic than Kane meant it to be, but he can't help it. The mister routine was bad enough when he didn't quite like it from Ambrose but now that he's settled his feelings on the man to possible love, it's really irritating. It's Cain. I see. And Ambrose seems to have closed himself off suddenly. I'll be sure not to make the mistake in the future. The way Ambrose stands, his shoulders rigid, but his fingers still buttoning up his coat, Cain doesn't know what to do. He's thrown off his game by the sudden aloofness. Look, I. We are clear, Cain. There's a touch of extra emphasis on his name, and Cain can only stare as Ambrose turns on his heel and walks away. The hell? he mutters as he heads the other direction. He arrives at the makeshift archery range to find DG and Ascadelia sitting on a blanket and watching as the men prepare their bows and arrows. DG's in a skirt, and Kane smirks when he sees her. Lose a bet? She did, Ascadelia says with a triumphant smile, so I made her wear it. I still don't get how you walk in these things, DG complains and fusses with her skirt. One leg in front of the other, princess. Cain grins when D.G. swats at his legs. Got room for one more? The woman scoot over, and Cain makes himself comfortable. Ascadelia offers him tea, but he waves it away. I'm just here to watch. What are you hoping to see? Ascadelia asks as she pours D.G. more tea. Today's about getting an idea of what the men can do. The rest of the week is for the men to figure it out themselves. And if they do not figure it out? I'll tell them, Cain states, and sees Ascadelia and D.G. share a look. What? The women share another look, and Kane can see the little girls they once were. Well, would one of you just say whatever it is you're thinking? Ascadelia thinks you're hot when you're getting ready to bark orders, D.G. says, and ducks away when Ascadelia tries to shove her. Kane hides a grin by looking down the range as the men line up. I'll take it as a compliment and nothing more. I would appreciate it, Ascadelia says, in a tone that's almost regal. She pokes at D.G. when D.G. starts to laugh. Was she this much trouble when you met her, Kane? More, he says without a pause. Hey, D.G. exclaims in her own defense. When you met me, I wasn't alone. Glitch counted for at least half the trouble. More like two-thirds, Kane says, to make her smile and laugh. Not that you helped with your ridiculous requests. I didn't. She borrowed my razor to cut into the cocoon of a papay, Kane says to adelia and then one bit me and we had to run for our lives. You cut the cocoon yourself, mister, and if you hadn't, Ra would have been left to die. We had to leap for a lives off of a cliff that should have rightly killed us. As Cadelia laughs and pats DG affectionately, she's always gotten me into trouble. You get one girl possessed by a witch, DG mutters. Kane lets his smile show this time. Yeah, it's a high bar we set up for you, princess. DG rolls her eyes. You're in a fine mood today. I'm fine. Kane watches the way D.G.'s face tightens up and knows he's given himself away. "'Don't start,' he warns, pointing a finger at her. "'Did something?' D.G. starts to ask, but sees the look on Kane's face and presses her lips together. "'Never mind,' she says and turns back to Ascadelia, striking up a conversation about nothing important. Kane watches the rest of the archery practice and nods to the men as they head for artillery training. He nods goodbye to D.G. and Ascadelia and walks to his office.' After artillery training, he'll meet the men for lunch, but right now he knows there's paperwork waiting for him on his desk. If he starts now, he should have the whole of his busy work cleared up by lunch, and still have time to double-check the setup of the East Wing meeting room before he meets his men for a discussion of defense tactics. Ambrose is waiting outside of Kane's office, pacing back and forth and muttering to himself. Kane stops short at the sight of him, and realizes, after a few moments, that Ambrose is so wrapped up in his thoughts that he hasn't noticed Kane approach. "'Ambrose,' he says, and is surprised at the way Ambrose spins around and balances on the balls of his feet, his hands coming up in a defensive motion. "'Is there something you need?' Kane asks, ignoring the way Ambrose relaxes back onto his heels and starts to pace again. How deep he is in his own head is a guess Kane isn't willing to make, but coming out in a defensive position means he's tense. Kane reaches out and grabs Ambrose's arm, raising his eyebrows when all he gets is a blank look. "'Why are you here?' This would be a conversation better held in your office, I think. Ambrose's gaze flicks about the hallway, and Kane can feel the tension through the grip he has on Ambrose's elbow. Okay, then. Kane unlocks the door and gestures Ambrose in, latching the door behind him and watching Ambrose as he rounds the room to his desk. He doesn't sit. The tension in the room won't let him. But he tries to relax his back and shoulders so that he doesn't look like he's ready to attack. What's going on? I must apologize for my abrupt exit earlier. I feel that I... Ambrose trails off and looks around Kane's office. Kane waits him out, knowing from the way that Ambrose's hands are fidgeting that he'll get his answers soon enough. I am a well-educated man brought up with the best manners and tutors, Mr. Kane Ambrose says, and Kane feels like this conversation's gone completely sideways. Ambrose, whatever you're saying, just say it. Ambrose gives Kane a long look and finally nods. Very well, if that's how you wish to handle this. The time I spent as glitch is an embarrassment for me. Kane blanks at the news, and swallows back his first response of denial. A man with Ambrose's background, he knows, really would find glitch and embarrassment. Ambrose goes on before Kane can say this aloud. It is very strange, Mr. Kane, to be back in my full mind. I have so many memories that are not at all appropriate for a man of my education and background. I ran about the countryside in tattered clothes, with wild hair, and no idea of propriety or proper manners. The last part makes Cain snort. And when Ambrose looks up at him, Kane does it again, just for the effect. Define proper, Kane says, but holds up a hand as Ambrose opens his mouth. Rhetorical smartass remark there. Ah, uh. Kane waits for more, but just gets a long stare from Ambrose. He's going to have to say something. He realizes Ambrose has come to him for help for some ridiculous reason, and now Kane has to help him. When you found me, I was locked up in a tin box with a beard down to my belt, and I was caked in the stench of my own fear. I remember, Ambrose says seriously, his eyes fixed on Kane, and you let me out and watched me clean myself up and didn't say a word. Yes. It's barely more than a whisper. Kane can see that Ambrose has no idea what's going on with his side of the conversation. A less proper person would have asked questions the second I fell from the damn suit. Kane watches Ambrose's face twist into a confused expression. The same lock of hair from earlier in the morning is making another daring escape, and Kane wonders if all of Ambrose's propriety is in place because of how he sees his own actions when he was Glitch. You're saying that you found me proper as Glitch. Kane laughs at that, short and blunt, but it's a laugh, not even close. I'm saying that you had certain moments when you were brained, where you knew when to hold off and wait. Last I checked, that counted as proper manners. I see. Kane's not sure if Ambrose really does until he gives Kane a tired smile. I appreciate your words. They're true. Cain watches the way Ambrose's eyes close when he smiles again. It's fascinating to Cain, the bits and pieces of glitch that were, and still are, a part of Ambrose. Clothes don't mean a thing if the man wearing them is useless. Manners don't mean a thing if the man using them is an idiot. You are a headcase. That doesn't immediately make you less than you were. It made me half a brain less, Ambrose said factual. I do believe that counts for a great deal, your kind words aside. Half a brain left and you could still fight. You could still talk. You could still insult me as needed. Kane rolls his eyes at the way Ambrose flinches. Trust me, I had it coming. Insults are so necessary sometimes. Kane makes an exasperated noise low in his chest and waves his hand towards one of the windows. There's too much propriety in this damned place. It's all niceties and politeness and conversation that would put the whole OZ to sleep if they had to listen to them every night. This is a royal court, Mr. Kane. It's Kane. Cain spits out and doesn't miss the way Ambrose flinches. It's always been Kane, What tin man? Ambrose says quietly, and Kane watches as realization dawns across his face. Oh dear, what you said to me earlier, I said it to you. Necessary insults, like I said. Aye. Ambrose looks out the window, and Kane watches the way his face changes as the sunlight hits it. The line of his nose is sharp, and Kane gets caught when Ambrose turns back and meets his eyes. I am a royal advisor to a royal court, as you are now. There are certain expectations. Boring is an expectation. Kane smiles a little when Ambrose grins just a bit. I'm not saying all those fancy tricks and tips you have is a bad way to be, but too much of a proper thing is. Kane finds himself without words and thinks back, almost against his will to glitch. There's propriety and then there's kidding yourself. Last I checked, I got by just fine in my life with the manners I had. There's no need to dress them up just because the company's different. I see. Ambrose stands and straightens his coat. He pushes his errant lock of hair back into its wonted position. You are a man of strong convictions, Kane. Yeah, Kane says, because now he's the one who's not sure where the conversation is going. And a man of strong conviction is a man to be considered. Kane's left to stare at Ambrose's back as he leaves the office. It's not often he's completely flabbergasted, but he's feeling it now. When he'd been a tin man in Central City, there had been a bottle of decent whiskey in his desk for moments like this. He wonders if there's some royal equivalent somewhere in this damned castle. By the time the squad showed up for lunch, Kane's certain there's no whiskey to be found in the whole of the castle. There's a basement somewhere. He's sure he hasn't searched, but the search itself was enough to get him focused again. The men are in good spirits, talking and joking as they load their plates. But Kane doesn't miss the way they wait for him to eat before they dig in themselves. It bothers him and makes the back of his neck itch. He's a tin man, not some royal court pony, and he's not the one who's been out in the sun all morning. He eats quickly and leans back in his chair, checking the men for injuries. There don't seem to be any, but he spots a bruise here and there. He stands, and the men stand with him. Sit, Kane barks, and they drop back to their seats. Let's get something clear here and now. I'm your superior in rank only. You don't wait for me before you eat. You don't stand when I leave a room, understood? There's a general murmuring of assent, and Kane nods. Good. There's enough pomp and circumstance in this place. Let's not give it another layer. Half an hour, and I'll see you in the East Wing meeting room. He turns on his heels and leaves, forcing his shoulders to relax once he's out of eyesight. The East Wing meeting room is already set up. The servants have left water and glasses around the table, and hung the maps of the grounds and the buildings that Kane had given them the night before. He nods at the arrangement before realizing Ambrose is sitting in a shadowy corner with his hands in his lap and his eyes on the door. The Queen thought it would be best if I sat in for this session, given my knowledge of the castle and the grounds, Ambrose explained, before Kane can ask. I'm aware that... You gave your brain. Kane snaps out before Ambrose can lapse onto an apology. Kane doesn't need to hear and is sure he doesn't deserve. The longcoats came and they sliced you up, and you gave your brain. Ambrose blinks, and Kane watches him wondering what he'll say to that. What else could I have done, Mr. Kane? Ambrose stands and smooths his coat and adjusts his cuffs. What else was there for me to do? I swore my allegiance. I stood by it. I watched the queen's face at every turn. As Cadelia possessed or not, was still her daughter. The queen believed herself at fault, believed herself to be the cause of the destruction of the O.Z. She had birthed her, after all, and she had been the one to watch one daughter kill the other. Ambrose looks up and Cain's caught in the most truthful, painful stare he's ever seen in his life. The Queen give her magic on the slimmest hope of redemption. How could I not give my brain under the same circumstances? Cain walks across the room and stands toe-to-toe. He searches Ambrose's face, his manners, and all he sees is loyalty and trust and respect and honor. He presses his hand against Ambrose's chest and feels his breath, the thump-thump of his heartbeat under layers and the fine stitching of his coat. Ambrose watches him back seeing things Cain can only imagine. There's a long, slow pause, and during it, the sun comes out from behind the sparse clouds and shines straight into the room, straight into the window right behind Ambrose, and everything's clear as the shaft of light, and Cain feels like he sees the workings of the world. He leans in and kisses Ambrose. Ambrose kisses back. They pull away and stand together, and share air while the sun dips back behind the clouds. Cain, Ambrose says, but it's in a different tone than before. It's softer and more casual, like they've known each other ages. It makes Kane smile. Ambrose. You can call me Glitch. Kane's smile widens at the offer. I think Ambrose will work out just fine. Ambrose presses his hand against Kane's ribcage and scratches lightly with his fingertips. I think you're right. He trails the seam of Kane's vest and looks thoughtful in the same half-dreamy way Kane remembers from their travels. You fell through the ice. Yes. That horse you carry, it saved you. Kane feels his eyebrows come together, and watches the way Ambrose cocks his head to him. You didn't remember this? No, I. I had this feeling every now and again, and I couldn't place it. I kept seeing you asleep, and I couldn't figure out what it meant. Ambrose flushes suddenly and takes a step back, I mean. I know what you mean, Kane says, stepping forward. Zero sent me out a window. I fell through the ice and pulled myself out, and the next thing I knew I was. The wagon, Ambrose says, and Kane watches the full memory come to life at the way Ambrose's eyes widen and the smile quirks just a little to the side. Goodness, but it was a sight. An ugly sight. Kane chuckles as Ambrose laughs. He recognizes the edge to Ambrose's laugh. It's not quite hysterical, more that Ambrose is realizing just how much he's forgotten. I wonder if he'll ever remember it all. I don't know. Ambrose smiles. It's a touch sad. Truthful to a fault. Suppose I am. Not a terrible thing for a tin man, that honesty. Cain chuckles again. Suppose not. I was hoping. Ambrose trails off, and his cheeks get red. Cain can't find it in him to look away. Would you like to have dinner with me this evening? Yes. The smile that crosses Ambrose's face makes Cain curl his fingers into Ambrose's coat. What time? Seven. Cain grimaces. I told the Queen I would give her an end-of-the-day update, then. Eight? Ambrose's smile hasn't wavered. Nine. I can make it by nine. My rooms? Cain lets the smile he's feeling slide across his face. Nine in your rooms. There are footsteps in the hallway, and Cain steps away, schooling his face into a sterner expression. Nine, he repeats, just to say it. Nine. And Cain thinks Ambrose says it for the same reason. Cain takes another step back as the door opens, and as the squad leader walks in, the men behind him, to find Kane and Ambrose standing a respectable distance from one another, both looking serious. Okay to enter, sir? Of course, Kane says, and walks to the front of the room. Get seated and we'll get started. Kane turns on his heels to face the room, and doesn't miss the small smile on Ambrose's face.